Story sixteen, section two of Captures by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story sixteen, section two, had a horse. Part five. The longer you can bet on a race, the greater its fascination. Handicappers can properly enjoy the beauty of their work. Clubmen and oracles of the course have due scope for reminiscence and prophecy. Bookmakers in lovely leisure can indulge a little their own calculated preferences, instead of being hurried to soulless conclusions by a half-hour's market on the course. The professional backer has the longer in which to dream of his fortune made at last by some hell of a horse, spotted somewhere as interfered with, left at the post, running green, too fat, not fancied, backward, now bound to win this hell of a race. And the general public has the chance to read the horses' names in the betting news for days and days, and what a comfort that is! Jimmy Shrewen was not one of those philosophers who justify the great and growing game of betting on the ground that it improves the breed of an animal less and less in use. He justified it much more simply. He lived by it. And in the whole of his career, of nearly twenty years, since he made hole-and-corner books among the boys of London, he had never stood so utterly on velvet as that morning when his horse must win him five hundred pounds by merely losing. He had spent the night in London, anticipating a fraction of his gains with George Pulcher at a music-hall and, in a first-class carriage, as became an owner, he travelled down to Newmarket by an early special. An early special key, turned in the lock of the carriage door, preserved their numbers at six, all professionals, with blank, rather rolling eyes, mouths shut or slightly fishy, ears to the ground, and the only natural talker, a red-faced man who had been at it thirty years intoning the pasts and futures of this hell of a horse or that, even he was silent on the race in hand, and the journey was half over before the beauty of their own judgments loosened tongues thereon. George Pulcher started it. "'I fancy Deerstalker,' he said. "'He's a hell of a horse.' "'Too much weight,' said the red-faced man. "'What about this calliope?' "'Ah,' said Pulcher, do you fancy your mare, Jimmy? With all eyes turned on him, lost in his blue-box cloth coat, brown bowler, and cheroot smoke, Jimmy experienced a subtle thrill. Addressing the space between the red-faced man and Pulcher, he said, If she runs up to her looks. Ah, said Pulcher, she's dark, nice mare, but a bit light and shelly. Lopez out a calendar muttered the red-faced man. Lopez didn't stay, but he was a hell of a horse over seven furlongs. The shirker ought to have told you a bit. Jimmy did not answer. It gave him pleasure to see the red-faced man's eye trying to get past and failing. Nice race to pick up. Don't fancy the favorite meself. He'd nothing to beat at Ascot. Jenning knows what he's about, said Pulcher. Jenning before Jimmy's mind passed again that first sight of his horse, and the trainer's smile, as if he, Jimmy Shrewen, who owned her, had been dirt, 
Tyke! To have the mare beaten by one of his. A deep, subtle vexation had oppressed him at times all these last days since George Pulcher had decided in favor of the mare's running a by. Damn George Pulcher! He took too much on himself. Thought he had Jimmy Shruan in his pocket. He looked at the block of crimson opposite. Aunt Sally! If George Pulcher could tell what was passing in his mind. But driving up to the course, he was not above sharing a sandwich and a flask. In fact, his feelings were unstable and gusty, sometimes resentment, sometimes the old respect for his friend's independent bulk. The dignity of ownership takes long to establish itself in those who have been kicked about. All right with Docker, murmured Pulcher, sucking at the wicker flask. I gave him the office at Gatwick. She could a won, muttered Jimmy. Not she, my boy. There's two at least can beat her. Like all oracles, George Pulcher could believe what he wanted to. Arriving, they entered the grand stand enclosure, and over the dividing railings Jimmy gazed at the cheap ring, already filling up with its usual customers. Faces and umbrellas, the same old crowd. How often had he been in that cheap ring, with hardly room to move, seeing nothing, hearing nothing but two to one on the field, two to one on the field, three's swordfish, five's alabaster, two to one on the field. Nothing but a sea of men like himself, and a sky overhead. He was not exactly conscious of criticism, only of a dull, glad I'm shut of that lot feeling. Leaving George Pulcher, deep in conversation with a crony, he lighted a cheroot and slipped out onto the course. He passed the jockey club enclosure. Some early toffs were there in twos and threes, exchanging wisdom. He looked at them without envy or malice. He was an owner himself now, almost one of them, in a manner of thinking. With a sort of relish, he thought of how his past life had circled round those toffs, slippery, shadow-like, kicked about, and now he could get up on the downs away from Toffs, George Pulcher, all that crowd, and smell the grass, and hear the bally larks, and watch his own mare gallop. They were putting the numbers up for the first race. Queer not to be betting, not to be touting round, queer to be giving it a rest. Utterly familiar with those names on the board, he was utterly unfamiliar with the shapes they stood for. I'll go and see him come out of the paddock, he thought, and moved on, skimpy in his bell-shaped coat and billycock with flattened brim. The clamor of the rings rose behind him while he was entering the paddock. Very green, very peaceful there. Not many people yet. Three horses in the second race were being led slowly in a sort of winding ring, and men were clustering round the further gate where the horses would come out. Jimmy joined them, sucking at his cheroot. They were a picture. Damn it, he didn't know but that horses laid over men. Pretty creatures. One by one they passed out of the gate, a round dozen, selling platers, but pictures for all that. He turned back toward the horses being led about, and the old instinct to listen took him close to little groups. Talk was all of the big race. From a tall toff, 
He caught the word calliope. Belongs to a bookie, they say. Bookie? Why not? Wasn't a bookie as good as any other? Ah, and sometimes better than these young snobs with everything to their hand. A bookie? Well, what chance had he ever had? A big brown horse came by. That's Deerstalker, he heard the toff say. Jimmy gazed at George Pulcher's fancy with a sort of hostility. Here came another, Wasp, six stone ten, and Deerstalker, nine stone, top and bottom of the race. My horse'd beat either of them, he thought stubbornly. Don't like that Wasp. The distant roar was hushed. They were running in the first race. He moved back to the gate. The quick clamour rose and dropped, and here they came, back into the paddock, darkened with sweat, flanks heaving a little. Jimmy followed the winner, saw the jockey way in. "'What jockey's that?' he asked. "'That? Why, Docker!' Jimmy stared. A short, square, bow-legged figure, with a hard wood face. Waiting his chance, he went up to him and said, "'Docker, you ride my horse in the big race.' "'Mr. Sherwin?' "'The same,' said Jimmy. The jockey's left eyelid drooped a little. Nothing responded in Jimmy's face. "'I'll see you before the race,' he said. Again the jockey's eyelid wavered. He nodded and passed on. Jimmy stared at his own boots. They struck him suddenly as too yellow and not at the right angle, but why he couldn't say. More horses now, those of the first race being unsaddled, clothed, and led away. More men, three familiar figures, young Cocoon, and two others of his Oxford customers. Jimmy turned sharply from them. Stand there, heirs, not he. He had a sudden sickish feeling. With a win, he'd have been a made man on his own. Blast George Pulcher and his caution. To think of being back in Oxford with those young bloods jeering at his beaten horse. He bit deep into the stump of his cheroot, and suddenly came on Jennings standing by a horse with a star on its bay forehead. The trainer gave him no sign of recognition, but signed to the boy to lead the horse into a stall, and followed shutting the door. It was exactly as if he had said, Vermin about. An evil little smile curled Jimmy's lips. The tyke. The horses for the second race passed out of the paddock gate, and he turned to find his own. His ferreting eyes soon sighted Pullman. What the cat-faced fellow knew, or was thinking, Jimmy could not tell. Nobody could tell. "'Where's the mare?' he said. "'Just coming round.' No mistaking her, fine as a star, shiny-coated, sinuous, her blazed face held rather high. Who said she was Shelley? She was a picture. He walked a few paces close to the boy. "'That's Calliope. Hmm, nice filly. Looks fit. Who's this James Shrewin? What's she at? I like her looks.' His horse, not a prettier filly in the world. He followed Pullman into her stall to see her saddled. In the twilight there, he watched her toilet, the rub-over, the exact adjustments, the bottle of water to the mouth, 
the buckling of the bridle, watched her head, high above the boy, keeping her steady, with gentle pulls of a rein in each hand, held out a little wide, and now and then, stroking her blazed nose, watched her pretense of nipping at his hand. He watched the beauty of her, exaggerated in this half-lit isolation, away from the others. The life and litheness in her satin body, the willful expectancy in her bright soft eyes. Runabye, this bit of blood, this bit of fire, this horse of his, deep within that shell of blue box cloth, against the stall partition, a thought declared itself. I'm damned if she shall. She can beat the lot, and she's damned well going to. The door was thrown open, and she let out. He moved alongside. They were staring at her, following her. No wonder. She was a picture. His horse. His. She had gone to Jimmy's head. They passed Jenning with diamond stud waiting to be mounted. Jimmy shot him a look. Let the blank wait. His mare reached the palings and was halted. Jimmy saw the short square figure of her jockey in the new magenta cap and jacket, his cap, his jacket. Beautiful they looked, and no mistake. A word with you, he said. The jockey halted, looked quickly round. All right, Mr. Shrewen, no need. Jimmy's eyes smouldered at him. Hardly moving his lips, he said, intently, you damned well don't. You'll damned well ride her to win. Never mind him. If you don't, I'll have you off the turf. Understand me, you'll damned well ride her to win. The jockey's jaw dropped. All right, Mr. Shrewen. See it is, said Jimmy with a hiss. Mount jockeys. He saw Magenta swing into the saddle, and suddenly... As if smitten with the plague, he scuttled away. Part Six He scuttled to where he could see them going down. Seventeen. No need to search for his colors. They blazed, like George Pulcher's countenance, or a rhododendron bush in sunlight, above that bright chestnut with the white nose, curveting a little as she was led past. Now they came cantering, Deerstalker in the lead. He's a hell of a horse, Deerstalker, said someone behind. Jimmy cast a nervous glance around. No sign of George Pulcher. One by one they cantered past, and he watched them with a cold feeling in his stomach. Still unused to sight of the creatures out of which he made his living, they all seemed to him hells of horses. The same voice said, New colors. Well, you can see em, and the mare, too. She's a showy one. Calliope? She's going back in the bettin', though. Jimmy moved up through the ring. Four to one on the field. Six deerstalker. Seven's magistrate. Ten to one wasp. Ten to one calliope. Four to one diamond stud. Four to one on the field. Steady as a rock, that horse of Jenning and his own going back. Twelve's Calliope, he heard, just as he reached the stand. The telepathic genius of the ring missed nothing, almost. A cold shiver went through him. What had he done by his words to Docker? 
spoiled the golden egg laid so carefully? But perhaps she couldn't win, even if they let her. He began to mount the stand, his mind in the most acute confusion. A voice said, "'Hello, Jimmy. Is she going to win?' One of his young Oxford sparks was jammed against him on the stairway. He raised his lip in a sort of snarl, and, huddling himself, slipped through and up ahead. He came out and edged in close to the stairs, where he could get play for his glasses. Behind him, one of those who improved the shining hour among backers cut off from opportunity, was intoning the odds a point shorter than below. Three to one on the field! Five's deerstalker! Eight to one wasp! What price calliope? said Jimmy sharply. Hundred to eight! Done! Handing him the eight, he took the ticket. Behind him, the man's eyes moved fishily and he resumed his incantation. Three to one on the field! Three to one on the field! Six to one magistrate! On the wheeling bunch of colors at the start, Jimmy trained his glasses. Something had broken clean away and come half the course, something in yellow. Eight's magistrate! Nine to one magistrate! drifted up. So they had spotted that. Precious little they didn't spot. Magistrate was round again, and being ridden back, Jimmy rested his glasses a moment and looked down. Swarms in the cheap ring, Tattersalls, the stands, a crowd so great you could lose George Pulcher in it. Just below, a little man was making silent, frantic signals with his arms to someone across in the cheap ring. Jimmy raised his glasses. In line now, magenta third from the rails. They're off! The hush! You could cut it with a knife! Something in green away on the right! Wasp! What a bat they were going! And a sort of numbness in Jimmy's mind cracked suddenly. His glasses shook. His thin, weasley face became suffused and quivered. Magenta! Magenta! Two from the rails! He could make no story of the race such as he would read in tomorrow's paper. He could see nothing but magenta! out of the dip now, and coming fast, green still leading, something in violet, something in tartan, closing. Wasps beat, the favorite, the favorite wins, deerstalker, deerstalker wins. What's that in pink on the rails? It was his pink on the rails. Behind him a man went suddenly mad. Deerstalker, come on with him, Stee, deerstalker'll win, deerstalker'll win. Jimmy sputtered venomously. Willie? Willie? Deerstalker and his own, out from the rest, opposite the cheap ring, neck and neck, Docker riding like a demon. Deerstalker, Deerstalker, Calliope wins, she wins. God, his horse! They flashed past, fifty yards to go, and not a head between them. Deerstalker, Deerstalker, Calliope! He saw his mare shoot out. She'd won. With a little queer sound, he squirmed and wriggled on to the stairs. No thoughts while he squeezed, and slid, and hurried. Only emotion. Out of the ring, away to the paddock. His horse! Docker had weighed in when he reached the mare. All right, he passed with a grin. 
Jimmy turned almost into the body of Pullman, standing like an image. "'Well, Mr. Shrewen,' he said to nobody, "'she's one.' "'Damn you,' thought Jimmy. "'Damn the lot of you.' And he went up to his mare. Quivering, streaked with sweat, impatient of the gathering crowd, she showed the whites of her eyes when he put his hand up to her nose. "'Good girl,' he said, and watched her led away. "'God, I want a drink,' he thought. Gingerly, keeping a sharp lookout for Pulcher, he returned to the stand to get it, and to draw his hundred. But up there by the stairs, the discreet fellow was no more. On the ticket was the name O. H. Jones, and nothing else. Jimmy Shrewen had been Welshed. He went down at last in a bad temper. At the bottom of the staircase stood George Pulcher. The big man's face was crimson, his eyes ominous. He blocked Jimmy into a corner. Ah, he said, you little crow, what the hell made you speak to Docker? Jimmy grinned. Some new body within him stood there defiant. She's my horse, he said. You godforsaken rat! If I had you in a quiet spot, I'd shake the life out of you. Jimmy stared up his little spindle legs apart, like a cock-sparrow confronting an offended pigeon. "'Go home,' he said. "'George Pulcher, and get your mother to mend your socks. You don't know how. Thought I wasn't a man, did you? Well, now you damn well know I am. Keep off my horse in future.' Crimson rushed up on Crimson in Pulcher's face. He raised his heavy fists. Jimmy stood, unmoving, his little hands in his bell-coat pockets, his withered face upraised. The big man gulped, as if swallowing back the tide of blood. His fists edged forward, and then dropped. "'That's better,' said Jimmy. "'Hit one of your own size.' Emitting a deep growl, George Pulcher walked away. Two to one on the field. I'll back the field. Two to one on the field. Three's snowdrift, four's iron duke. Jimmy stood a moment mechanically listening to the music of his life. Then, edging out, he took a fly and was driven to the station. All the way up to town, he sat chewing his cheroot with the glow of drink inside him, thinking of that finish and of how he had stood up to George Pulcher. For a whole day he was lost in London, but Friday saw him once more at his seat of custom in the corn. Not having laid against his horse, he had had a good race in spite of everything. Yet, the following week, uncertain into what further quagmires of quixotry she might lead him, he sold Calliope. But for years betting upon horses that he never saw, underground like a rat, yet never again so accessible to the kicks of fortune, or so prone before the shafts of superiority, he would think of the downs with the blinkin' larks singin', and talk of how once he had a horse. End of story 16 Had a Horse End of Captures by John Galsworthy Recording by Lee Smalley